Hey, 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 my friend, it's Julie Clough here, your life and grief coach. Welcome to the Build a Life After Loss podcast. I'm thrilled to bring you uplifting grief support and hope for rebuilding your life one small step at a time. Let's get started. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode 133, Thriving Together with Annette and Mark Anderson. So grateful to be here with you today. How are you doing today? I was reflecting on the highs and lows of life. I was reflecting on my own pattern of highs and lows and the same patterns I see as I work with people. Let's talk about weight loss for a second. I know you're thinking, what does this have to do with weight loss? (laughs) That's what you're asking, right? I'll explain. In weight loss, we track our weight. So as I went through my own weight loss experience, I track my weight every day. I still do. I track my weight every day. And some days the scale shows a number and it's lower than the day before. And some days the scale shows a number that's the same. Some days the scale shows a number that's higher than the day before. And it's all in what, what am I making it mean? What am I making it mean? So what do we tend to do when we're in weight loss mode and we get on the scale and it's lower, we make it mean that we're succeeding, that everything is going well, that all is right with the world, (laughs) at least with our weight loss world. (laughs) And if we get on the scale and the number is higher, what are we making it mean? Are we making it mean that we have failed, that we can never do this, that this is so discouraging, there's no way I'm ever going to find the answers, there's no way I'm going to make it work? It's what we're making it mean. And it's it's flattening out our response to the number. So when when the weight comes down, we make it mean, yes, things are working, and what did I do, and how can I continue to use the strategies that or the the things that I did to continue to have a result that I want. When the scale goes up, how do we look at that? Do we make it mean again that like, oh, I failed, I can never make it work? Or do we just look at it as, oh yeah, the scale went up. Okay, why did that happen? And getting curious about what happened and how we can get involved to get the result that we want. The same is very, very true with our grief journey, because what do we do? Every day, especially in grief, we are weighing our emotional level, and we're judging it. What are you making it mean? The journey from grief to hope and to thriving isn't a straight line. And I know you're thinking, I know, I know, I know, Julie, I know that's true, but do you really? It's fine to know that logically it's not going to be a straight line, but it's a whole nother thing. It's a whole completely different thing to put that understanding and compassion into practice in the moment. And when we wake up and our emotional scale is not where we want it to be, are we making it mean that it's time to give up? Or are we making it mean that, yes, today is a hard day and tomorrow can be better? So check in with yourself and check in with your emotional scale this week 
And how have you responded to the ups and downs of the journey? Going from grief to hope to thriving is not a straight line. There are ups and downs all along life's journeys. And we, we hope that as, you know, our goal is not to, to move along in a straight line. It's not to wake up every day and to be at the top part of our emotional scale every single day. The goal is to see the progress as we look back and to open our eyes to the progress, to see the things that have improved, to recognize and allow ourselves to give ourselves the attaboy, <laughs> the, the kudos, the um, encouragement to keep moving So today we have special guests and they're going to share their personal story of loss and their journey from grief to hope to thriving. And remember, when you hear this story, when you hear my story, you're not seeing the messy middle necessarily. We're going to explore the messy middle, but you know, when, when I show up here and you may be going, well, how did she get to this place? I'm, I'm in a good place. Mark and Annette are in a good place. How did we get from here to there? And that is the age-old question, isn't it? I sat down with my friends Annette and Mark Anderson, and 10 years ago, their 21-year-old son, Reed, died after years of medical intervention due to a brain tumor. Through the highs and lows of life, they have prioritized their relationship as a couple. And it's one of the things you're going to hear come out in this relation, in this um, in this episode, in this interview, despite life's struggles and the devastating loss of their son, today they feel like their understanding and compassion for one another is stronger than ever. And the insights that they share with us can be applied to all the relationships that we experience in life. How do we give each other understanding and compassion so that we can strengthen the relationship? You will love hearing words of wisdom from this insightful couple as they share their journey from grief to hope. Before we go to the interview, I want to share a little more about Annette and Mark. They are the founders of Karen the Load and Trail Angels, online communities dedicated to serving the needs of others and offering hope. The Andersons love spending time with their family and enjoy long walks and hikes in the nearby mountains. For Annette and Mark, gardening is therapy. Working with soil and flowers gives them time to ponder and helps them become grounded in their own lives. Pun intended. Because of their own personal and unique experiences, Karen the Load was created to show others that they are not alone and that someone has been at that same fork in the road before. A Karen C-A-I-R-N, is a trail marker that shows the way for bewildered and lost travelers. Karen the Load is about achieving victory and becoming. Victory comes while navigating along life's often precarious trails that we all face in life. Difficult trails require 
careful, and precise steps. When coupled with properly placed Karens, a journey can lead to one's desired destination. Annette and Mark's path in life has been filled with Karens, Karens that have been carefully placed before them by trail angels that have gone before, and Karens that they have built themselves to guide others along their journey. Mark and Annette have learned to embrace life's adventures, both good and difficult. Experience makes us who we are, unique and precious. Here's the interview. I am so excited to introduce everyone to Mark and Annette Anderson. They have become good friends and they have a remarkable story that I think is going to be, you're going to, you're going to be really happy that you listened in today. So Mark and Annette, why don't we start by you guys introducing yourselves? Well, thank you for having us on your show we're excited. You know, the first time that we actually met in person, I remember we went out as couples to dinner and I think we sat there for three hours until they were ready to close, <laughs> close down the restaurant. We just I think you're right. <laughs> kept talking, but Mark and I, we have a, a unique story and uh, we've been married nearly 38 years. And when our youngest child was about three years old his cousin got a brain tumor and I um, went to the hospital to visit my nephew and and I went there and I was just trying to be positive and keep a smile on my face knowing you know deep down how how devastating this this was and he was was he 10 mark he was 10 yeah. 10 at the time and as I was leaving, I had this, this voice in my head told me to watch because I was going to be going through this someday. Wow. And I came home and I told Mark and I'm like, I have no idea. Was that real? Was that not real? But it never left me. And what did you think at the time, Mark? Well, you know, it's it's an interesting question, Julian. First of all, thanks again for allowing us to be part of your program. It's 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 a journey that uh, that each of us have had a chance to go through. And you know, sometimes we joke a little bit about uh, that this is a club that no one wants to belong to, Absolutely. losing a child. And and at that time that Annette was talking about about visiting our nephew in the hospital, up to that point in our lives, four children, everything was going great. You know, we 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 have a great marriage. Everything, uh, you know, home wise, uh, our, our kids loved each other and uh, loved being around each other. But once that diagnosis came, and we'll talk about that in a minute as well. But once once we found that we were going to be going through a similar trial in our lives, lives changed immediately. So when we heard that, we I watched, I watched, and I watched how they handled it. I watched how they cared for their sick son. I watched how they engaged as a couple, how they they raised their other children. And I moved forward because we had no idea. And it's not like you can go and just say, eeny, meeny, miny, mo" between our four kids, which one are, is this going to be? And that time kept going on. And it was... Um, I believe it was three years later and I got a phone call from 
our son's third grade teacher, third grade teacher. And she said, your son's hands are tremoring. Mm. I think you need to get him checked out. And that phone call was just brought every feeling and emotion right back up because I knew what that meant. Being part of, of five children, Children. I was I was one of five siblings, and up to that point, uh, we we'd had tragedies in in three of the five of my siblings. Uh, you know, a three year old passed away with appendicitis. Our twelve year old nephew passed away with a brain tumor. Uh, other other situations in in families, terrible car accidents and things that uh, I think really probably prepared us a little bit for what we were about to experience. Right. And so we took so we took Reed into into a primary children's hospital in Salt Lake and uh, was, was given a diagnosis that uh, no parent ever wants to hear. And, and because of that, and because of the type of tumor he had, it was, it was genetic. And so we had our three other children tested Mm -hmm. to see if they also might have that, um, have a tumor as well. And, and gratefully they did not there was there was nothing um, that they had that was of concern, and so it was a journey that we went on. He was age eight when when that was diagnosed, and he passed away at twenty one. Wow. So it was many years of dealing with pain and suffering, and more pain and more suffering, and more tests and more trials and more just trying to manage the pain and give him the best quality of life that he could have as well as the rest of our family and our children. I mean, it, we couldn't lose them. That was in the forefront of, of our mind that we, yes, we have this, this son that we love dearly read and he's chronically ill and they really can't, they can't fix him. And we couldn't fix him as parents, but we also need to care for our other children Reed was the third of four. So we had two older sisters and a younger brother. And it it was a lot of juggling. But I think we did, we handled it pretty well because our family became best friends. The children learned to serve one another and they could see when something was needed. And they they didn't become bitter or jealous that he may have received more attention and different things, but they were willing to help. And, and that was such a blessing. Well, and I think that speaks to your strength too, because you obviously fostered that in them, their desire to, to help and to participate. And you must have kept them involved in some ways so that they didn't feel left out, but more involved. I think that, and that brings up a really good point. And uh, the fact is, is that we did watch my other siblings when they were dealing with uh, similar type issues in their homes. And the one thing that we decided early on is we weren't going to lose more than one child. And there's a number of ways that uh, you can lose a child. And, uh, and, and as difficult as it was, we, we, we were blessed as we watched our children and as they rallied around and as they became their own best friends and watched out for one another, it soon became apparent that uh, this was a family that loved each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, 
you know, and, and I love that you, you brought up a couple of times having watched your siblings go through difficult things and really you paid attention to what worked and you paid attention, maybe even to the things that didn't work that you wanted to do differently. Right. And and I think, I think that's, I think if we look at life that way and we recognize that when hard things happen, there's evidence that we've been prepared along the way. Yes. In my experience. For sure. And, and, you know, we have been people watchers throughout our life. And, and I look at, at our siblings as trail angels for us. They were trail angels and then that they went before and they, they were on this journey that then when we came along on that journey, we had a path to follow and we had ideas of what worked and what didn't work. And, and maybe some of those, those things down where we would have hit a crossroad and, and possibly have gone one direction thinking that was the best way to go because we had seen and been watchers, we followed the other trail. Mm-hmm. And, and so it really, um, it blessed our lives and it, and it protected us. And I think really that goes for so many things in life is we're not meant to do it alone. We're not meant to to suffer alone, to just go through life just guessing which way is the right way, which trail should I take. There are others there to help us. And that's what I love about what you do, Julie, and, and your show is it's you're you're here to help others. You're a trail angels for so many who are listening to your show who who have lost a child or grieving for for some reason and you're helping them you're that trail angel in their life and and you are in 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 mine in this you know the few months that we've we've known each other and I'm so grateful for that and and I know that you know so much of life is about this connection and I'm jumping ahead a little bit but we'll come back but so much of what I want to do is I want to pay it forward we aren't sitting back thinking, you know, poor us. We're sitting back. We're now moving forward and saying, well, how can we help someone else? How can we help someone on their journey? And it's not always a journey because they've lost a child, but it's a journey of hope and that they might just be so down and, and just feeling alone that we can help them on their journey just to find that hope and happiness. And, and, you know, a lot of that journey actually happens before the tragedy itself. Exactly. And I, I, as Annette was talking, I was thinking of a quote by one of our church leaders, Thomas uh, S. Monson, who, who said once in a talk that he gave, he said that when the time for decision arrives, the time for preparation is past. And as I think of that uh, quote, and I think of what that really means, it means that, uh, Every one of us are going to be faced with some difficult challenges in our lives. It may not be losing a child, but it will be losing someone. It will be having a difficulty in life because of of loss of a job. It'll be because of loss of something that is very dear to them. And, And trying to establish that emotional resilience before the tragedy actually happens, I think, is really key. Well, and and. 
I want to take us back just a little bit because I, I know like you were talking about Reed was three, if I remember correctly, when his cousin was diagnosed with a brain tumor and you had that premonition, you had that experience where you felt like, okay, I need to watch. And then it was five years later before Reed was diagnosed and then 13 years of dealing with cancer in your child. Tell us a little bit about what that was like. (laughs) It was difficult. You know, Mark traveled for his, his employment. He was gone 50% of the time. Um, And so I, I was tasked with getting to take him to doctor's appointments and to doing all these things. And, and Mark would, when he was home, you know, the best that he could. And, and it was so different in how we, we dealt with things because we saw things differently too. And, and having that long period of time and, 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 um, you know, to correct you just a little bit, our youngest was three and a half. So Reed would have okay. been Reed would have been six and a half. Okay, that's so what it was. It was just a year and a half after gotcha. I had that experience, and um, but I was just you know painting the picture that we had a young we had right. the, this right. family. So really, all we knew for you know the majority of those years was doctor visits pain, um, dealing with pain, dealing with um, setbacks, with no real answers. Um, his It wasn't cancer in that it would spread to your different types of your body or anything, but when you see little children and they have a red mark on their head, birth, birth a birthmark, it's, it's a hemangioma. Mm-hmm. And Reed had that but it was in the center of his brain. Okay. Often referred to as a cavernous malformation. Right. And so because of the location, they couldn't operate. And it didn't, it wasn't, um, they couldn't treat it with like chemo or anything. It had no, it, it wouldn't respond to that. They couldn't use like the gamma knife radiation because of where it was at, even though gamma knife is so pinpoint it would have killed vital functions getting to that. So we had no, there was nothing we could do. We just tried to manage what was happening to him. And, and, and so it was so difficult because you didn't know from one minute to the next, whether he would be able to see or not see it would come and go whether he would be able to, you know, run and and walk and play or not. He was an excellent student. Then he became not so good. He couldn't remember what he read. As he grew, so as you think, you know, an eight-year-old isn't, you know, he still has lots of growth coming in and puberty and all these things. And as he grew, so did this malformation. And it would bleed. It was like he had strokes, but his body just somehow would encapsulate that. We were blessed with really, you know, a long extended life for him in comparison to what they expected. 
Um, but after he was able to have surgery at age 16 because of technology. And he was, I believe, the sixth in the world that they had ever tried this on. Wow. Had to be perfect. They told us going into this that it had to be perfect. It wasn't perfect, but he still lived. We believe because of the faith and prayers of many, especially the youth, that his life was spared. Um, but we dealt with five bonus years that were very difficult. After his surgery. After the surgery. Surgery. Now, I've, I've heard you guys talk about Reed before. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I, I never had the opportunity to, to meet him. But from hearing your stories, I can... I can feel what a strong personality, what a strong individual he was. Um, I remember a story you told about him deciding he wanted to be, I believe, as a long distance runner. And some right. of the challenges that, that came with that, with, with deciding to push himself in a physical way with a physical issue. So tell, if you don't mind, would you share a little bit of that story with us? Yeah, I'd love to. In fact, we could talk about this all day because there's so many analogies from his running and from his experiences that he had. You know, he was a great football player uh, when he was young. He was an offensive lineman and uh, he he was uh, really good and he loved football. And when he was diagnosed in the third grade, when I say he was a great football player, he was great for the third grade. OK, so, <laughs> well, he had a natural ability, though. Right. He did. He did. And, and as uh, things uh, progressively got worse, uh, he had to quit football, and it, and it about killed him. And so we sat down one day trying to figure out what would be a great sport because he was very active, something that he wanted to do that he could excel at. Well, he found that long-distance running was uh, something that uh, he really enjoyed. And as a result of that, uh, there were some great stories. We went to, uh, along with his uh, high school, at Riverton High School, there were a, a number of uh, young men and young women that uh, were invited to go to an event called Foot Locker, which is a, uh, which is a uh, long distance run in California. And uh, I was, I, I wanted to go, I needed to go as a chaperone. I needed to make sure that Reed would be okay during that time and that uh, he had the uh, adequate supervision that he needed in case something happened to him. Well, the the race day came and uh, he lined up and and I remember I was so proud of him as I was watching from from the different uh, vantage points of that uh, course about a five mile course and I watched Reed and he was in the top third for probably about half of the race and then behind a mountain I watch him leave and go behind this mountain and up this hill and all of a sudden I started watching other runners that were behind him running. And I thought to myself, boy, did I did I miss? Did I miss Reed coming through? And uh, I waited and I waited. And I finally started walking up the hill as there were no more runners walking. And all of a sudden, I see Reed running down the mountain. His face had dirt on it. His clothing had all, all kinds of dirt on it. And uh, he still had a shaved head because it hadn't been that long that he had had his brain tumor. And one of the things you would have to know about Rita is he was very proud of his scar on his head. That was, that was something that uh, we, we could talk about as well as, as uh, the importance of scars in life and uh, why that was important to him. Cause he wanted people to know that he had, he had actually become victorious over that uh, tumor. And so as I started walking up the hill and I saw him running down, 
Uh, I asked him in passing. He didn't even slow down. I said, Reed, are you okay? And uh, with dirt and with blood on his knees, he said, I'm okay, Dad. And he ran and he finished the race. And uh, come to find out later, what had happened is he had passed out on top of the uh, hill. And uh, he was being attended to by an ambulance that was ready to put him on a gurney. And the next thing you know, he jumped up and he says something that uh, to this day is important to our family. And he said, I didn't come this far to not finish the race. And that particular phrase is something that uh, is, is very important because we all have come to this earth to finish the race. And how we do it might be completely different from one another. But as we think about races, all of us face races in our lives. And the race that Reed faced, I'll tell you, I was, I was a, uh, a, an EMT for our community, and I saw people die. I, I saw terrible accidents. I saw other situations where people didn't survive. And I would be okay with that. But when it came to watching Reed suffer, it about killed both of us. And that was one of the difficulties of this whole of this whole time is the emotional toll that it took not only on Reed, but also those that were close to him. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and just just uh you know, it's it's hard enough as you were talking about the the pain that he experienced you know the the discomfort the 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 physical and emotional anguish that he was going through i couldn't help but think sometimes it's easier for us to to experience our own physical pain than it is to watch someone we love suffer and not be able to do anything for them and i, hey, I, can't I imagine also, you're you're absolutely right i would go to the uh, hospital Anytime he'd have to have a, uh, an, a shot, I, I'd have to look away, even with my experience as an EMT, because when it's when your own child, I can deal with getting shots. I can deal with, uh, with, with dealing with pain. But when it is someone that you love, it becomes so much more intense. It really does. It really does. Well, t- take us forward a little bit. So he, you know, he, he went through all this difficulty. And like you said, his, his life, he, he had a longer life than they even expected. But tell us a little bit about those, those last few weeks or a few days before he, he passed away. It was um, really the last year was just awful. Um, I mean, it's hard to say how awful, and and, and I guess a better word for me would be it was hell, mm-hmm. because you just never knew from, and, and when I say from one minute to the next, I really mean from one minute to the next, what was going to happen. He could be completely fine and happy and laughing, and the next thing you know, he's unconscious. Or he's screaming in pain. And, and, you know, this kid had gone through so much. He had quite the pain tolerance. And it was to the point that in um, September, actually it was October, just six months prior to him passing away, he called me one day. I was at a friend's house. And he said, Mom, he said, where you at? And I said, you know, just to... And I just, you know, gave him at Lori's house. He said, well, I said, why, what's up? I need you to take me to the hospital. I mean, it's just this matter of fact. I need you to take me to the hospital. Okay, I'll be there in a few minutes. I mean, it had gotten to this point that we really didn't 
freak out. You know, it was just, okay, what's going on? And he said, well, I've been bleeding. And I'm like, bleeding, where is this? This is a new thing. And, 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 and so I said, okay, I'll be there. And Reed was, he was a big guy. He was six, two. And, and he had put on a little bit of weight because of some of the medication they gave him where the steroids, the steroids and things, he became a little husky. That was the term the uh, mortician said. He's a little husky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we use that word. But anyway, um, so I go downstairs to his room. And when he needed help from me to get up, I knew he was bad because he always wanted to do things alone because he was the tough guy. And so I helped him upstairs. I got him out into the car and we were maybe five minutes away from our house. We lived about 10 minutes from the hospital. And all of a sudden his speech starts slurring. Mm. And I'm like, I'm looking at him and I'm like, what is going on? You're, you're having a stroke. You know, we, we haven't had a stroke like that, that he would, you know, with the the speech and everything else. So anyway, he, um, we get to the hospital by, they want to transport him to a a hospital that has more care for strokes, stroke patients. By the time they get there, he comes out of the MRI. He's unconscious. He's unconscious for, for almost a day. And when he comes to, he's paralyzed on half of his body. Three days later, they're getting ready to admit him into a rehab facility. He wakes up in the middle of the night, and he can lift that arm, and he can move that leg on that side of the body. And he didn't have a stroke. What, he, what happened was that his body was in so much pain, it shut down. Mm. And that's how his body started handling the pain, was just completely shutting down. And it was so difficult. So that was the first of many difficult things. Um, then we started having seizures. And, and in the end, it was this, he was driving um, because the doctors had cleared him to drive and he needed to, it was one, late one evening, uh, and he needed to get to a dentist appointment in the morning. And he filled up his his car with uh, gas and had a seizure on the way home a block from our house. And, and that was it. He, he ran into the wall and there was a, a, a wall for a highway and, um, and he passed away mm-hmm. and to be out there on this. And when he left that night to go get gas, he came in the room and I was getting ready for bed and he told me, he knocked on my door and he told me that he loved me and that he'd be back. And that was not something he typically did. And he left and I sat down on the bed and I knew he wasn't coming home. And so I, I was at the accident scene within a minute of when it actually happened because I was just leaving to go find him. You know, what was interesting about that experience and not to take anything away from his passing, but life was, even though it was good during that five years, we we found that uh, maybe maybe we were dealing with things a little bit differently. And that really didn't come out until until after he had passed away. You know, it's said that 
that uh, when a uh, when parents lose a child, that the divorce rate is is very high. In fact, it's uh, over seventy percent, and I can understand why. And even though we'd been in a very loving marriage, we dealt with grief so differently. And you know, it wasn't it wasn't until just a, a year or so ago that Annette and I took this a little personality uh, quiz, I guess you could say, assessment. And we realized that we were very different when it comes to dealing with difficult things. I'm an achiever, and Annette is a helper. And and we've, we found that as we were reading more and more about the interaction of those two types, it uh, was that, uh, hey, be careful, because you're going to have a difficult time dealing with difficult situations with those two types. And we had had a difficult time, and I just had assumed that he was in denial, even before Reed had passed away, there were many, many times that our children, all, all of us but Reed, the three other children, and I would be talking, Mark would be out of town, and they would be so concerned, what's going to happen with Dad? We don't think he, he sees how bad Reed's getting. Is he, okay? Is he going to be okay? They were so worried that he, he just wasn't seeing that Reed was declining. And so we were thinking he was in denial, when in reality, that's just how he dealt with the pain. And, and, and so what we understood was that we both dealt with grief the correct way for us. Right. But there was a difference there uh, for us. But, yeah. but then together, that, that was the difficult part. How do we deal with this together? And, you know, it's, it's been interesting because uh, we, we lost Reed 10 years ago this year. And during that uh, time, you know, we, we've had some, some great time together, but it really hasn't been until the last year or two that uh, the two of us have really been able to rectify because of learning a little bit more. I, I now know how Annette grieves and she knows how I grieve. And because of that, we can help each other. And, and uh, in the, in the uh, face of tragedy, we all need to be able to be there for the next person who is, is uh, struggling just as much as we are. And it wasn't struggling more than I was. I wasn't struggling more than she was. We were struggling together. But sometimes it can be so personal that we forget about the other person. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's hard, you know, when you're dealing with your own, your capacity is limited. When you have your, when you're carrying your own grief, your capacity is limited. And so, you know, how do you bridge that gap and how do you stay patient with, with a spouse that you feel like is doing things differently and therefore maybe wrong. And I say that with air quotes because they're not doing it wrong. It's just, we have our idea of how, what it should look like based on our own experiences, based on our own personalities. And then we look at our spouse and go, okay, you're doing it wrong. And then that creates more contention instead of bringing, bringing you together. So how did you bridge that, that divide, that uh, difference? Okay. I'm, I'm going to start here because I think this is important. Uh, guys on the most part don't need help. Okay, we're strong. We're the, uh, you know, we're the we're the ones in the family that are supposed to be the protectors. And when I realized that I couldn't protect Reed from what was going on around him, it it, it became debilitating almost for me. But I didn't do anything about it. And and during this time, Annette 
was was able to be seeing a professional that uh, was helping her to deal with some of her struggles. But it wasn't until the two of us together began to to see a professional. And you know, I I, I just need to make a point here, and that is is that sometimes our our uh, upbringing, maybe if we talk about the idea of going to seeing some professional, it means that we're weak. It means that uh, we can't cope well and uh, that we're not doing well in life. But that is 100% wrong. And I think we, we tell ourselves that lie, especially when we need help. And and because of that, uh, I believe that that, uh, that help that both of us were to see together not because of a bad marriage or anything but like that, but because we both needed to learn how to grieve together and to learn how to, to deal with those emotions together. That was critical to our healing process. And you talk about journeys, and it continues to be a journey to this day, is that uh, there will be things that I see in Annette and that she sees in me that we try to be each other's best friend. Because we know that uh, in in the midst of trials and difficult times in our lives, that that best friend needs to be there. Absolutely, and I I love that you you said this because I often say our our support needs to be greater than our challenge. And when your challenge goes up, your support needs to go up. It needs to be equal to or greater than the challenge that you're facing. And it's so interesting as I look around it, we're so willing, even men <laughs> are so willing to get help in, in certain arenas, like in your in your work and in your job, you hire the people that you need, or you you get the resources that you need within your, your organization, or if you're, you know, dealing with a health challenge, you go, you go see a doctor or you you're dealing with, and we, we find the people that can help us and support us in that challenge. And why we don't realize that that's just as important with our emotional and um, challenges as well. It's really, it was, it was a significant change when Mark agreed to come with me and, and he didn't like it. He did not like coming because he had to be vulnerable. Um, our therapist could see through him and she saw the pain and she would push him a little bit to get him to open up. And, and he didn't, he didn't like it, (laughs) but the incredible thing that's happened from this, and it's not that we didn't have a wonderful marriage. It's just that we couldn't be there in this really huge part of our life for each other. We were for everything else, but it was like there was this, this wedge that we couldn't talk about really what was going on inside because it made us look weak. Yeah. Painful. And I, I would expand on that just a little bit, Julie. And that is, is that probably a, almost a couple of years ago, Annette and I uh, had, had an opportunity to go to San Diego for a little vacation and while we were on the beach, we, we saw a man who was stacking rocks, Karen's trail markers. And because we had an interest in Karen's, because we both like to hike, we, we stopped and we talked with him. And he talked about something that was very important. He says that I can balance a small rock on top of a large rock, or I can balance a large rock or a, a small rock on top of a, or a large rock on top of a small rock. He said, the reason why I can do that is because I need to find three points of contact. 
And that really that that really interests us as we were talking about as we were talking about those three points of contact. And and as we're talking about the emotional side of things here, I think that sometimes we get a little bit sideways with our emotions, not realizing that there's really those three parts that we need to address in times of not only challenges, not only tragedy, but really throughout our lives. And those three those three points are physical, emotional, and spiritual. Now think about it. And and it doesn't matter, you know, what what you believe in as long as you have some type of a spiritual component in your life there. But think about times in your life when you haven't felt congruent. Maybe one of those areas was lacking. Maybe the spiritual side was lacking. Maybe the emotional. In this case it was the emotional side because my physical and my and my spiritual I felt like I was doing great, but it wasn't until I was able to bring that third component into where it needed to be, that spiritual component, that I felt like my life was in a place where I was in control. Mm, that's that's I love that you said that. And and if we think about the way society, the way our the way the world works, you know, we spend all those years in school really developing our mental capacity. We go to PE, we learn about the physical, we get involved in sports. We might even, people are really into hiring a trainer these days, right? So we really like, we focus on the physical, we focus on, we might have spiritual leaders, we might have a church that we're going to. So we have that spiritual support, but where is it that we learn about the emotional component? Like there's just no place where it's just kind of accepted or part of the routine or the things that we develop or we learn about. And that's really the beauty of where we're at today. I I feel like if we wanted to look at the last year and a half with the pandemic, what that has done in our in a world today is it shows that we all need help emotionally. I think it pushed everybody to a limit and people are more willing now to be vulnerable. They're more willing to say, yeah, that was really hard for me too. You know, it's somehow it's, it's brought us together in a way that it makes it a little bit more palatable to admit that you might need some help. And that's one of the things that we have found is that as we have become more vulnerable, as as Mark would never in his life ever said on a podcast or openly to anybody that we receive professional help. That wouldn't have happened. It didn't take a lot of professional help, but it was key to our healing. But the reason why I think that that's important is because many of us grew up in a time where our parents thought that if we needed to go see help, that again, meant that we were weak. And you just don't talk about things where you're weak. And so we are in a unique, unique place in our generation in the fact that we need to recognize that when the time is necessary, that professional help is okay. Exactly. Absolutely. And really what we're talking about is skills, developing skills. And You're right. That's that's really what we're talking about. If you you know you've talked about how you've developed the skill of being able to to work with each other with the differences. You know, early in our conversation today, Annette, you made some comment about how you guys handled things differently and you did things differently, and that's where the challenges 
and the great benefits is because if we can recognize those differences as being a benefit and see how we can work together instead of competitively, which sometimes happens, right? (laughs) Right. And that's what's happened with us. We, um, We do have these incredible strengths that are different, but they are so powerful when we weave them together. Absolutely. I mean, you, I, I hear achiever and helper and I'm like, oh my gosh, that, that's a powerful combination. And we, there's not the competition. There's no longer this weird, like, what are you? I don't miss Reed more than you miss him. And you don't no. miss him more than I miss him. No. You know, the, the competition can, can sometimes be there. And you've, and your listeners have heard this all before, that when you have a tragedy, you've got a choice. It's all about attitude. You can be better or you can be bitter. And, and when you consider what the opportunities are, as well as what the considerations and the options are, I'm telling you, the bitter part is, is a very lonely, lonely road. And I, I think of the things that I've learned and that Annette has learned and the things that we've learned together during this last 10 years. And, and, and I, if, if I could, there's, there's a quote and it may, and I'm sure that Julie, you've seen this quote before. It's by, a fellow uh, over a hundred years ago by the name of Orson F. Whitney, who, who shared the quote, he said, he said that no pain that we suffer, no trial that we experience is wasted. It ministers to our education, to the development of such qualities as patience, faith, fortitude, and humility. And all that we suffer and all that we endure, especially when we endure it patiently, builds up our character. It purifies our hearts. It expands our souls and makes us more tender and charitable, more worthy to be called the children of God. And it's through sorrow and suffering, toil and tribulation that we gain the education that we came here to acquire and which will make us more like our father and mother in heaven. Mm -hmm. I, I love that quote because it is all about education. It's all about learning. It's all about having the the uh, the attitude of learning and and recognizing that I don't have to live my life in a sorrowful state. I can be as happy as I want to. Yeah. The these soul expanding experiences are excruciating. And certainly no one would um would say this is the way that I want to be expanded. No. <laughs> um no one would choose it, but it is once that situation is before us, then we have a choice as to how we're going to respond. And I I think sometimes when when we're in early grief, you know, I heard this idea about choosing and it was it was frustrating to me in early grief because I thought, how do I choose that? Like I don't even know how to choose happiness. It was it was excruciating to me to think about like how do I choose that? I can't that's not even an option to me right now. And I think that we have to allow that. um, We have to allow that pain. It is part of the healing process, but as we allow the pain, we also allow it to continue to move and we don't stay stuck in that place. And, And we do get to that point where we can, we can feel and see the road forward and we can move towards, towards a happier, more fulfilling, more peaceful life and, and in many ways, life just opens up in a beautiful way that is is even more remarkable than we can even imagine. And so that's that's what I and I appreciate you guys coming on and sharing your own journey through that same experience. That's been a, a wonderful thing to talk with you about today. 
Tell us a little bit about how people can find you, what you're up to these days. You guys are doing wonderful things and I just applaud you for that. Well, thank you. You know, when you talk about this journey and opening up, it's like you said, it's not an easy journey and it's not something that you can just say, I choose happiness and and that takes care of it. It's a journey that we can leave a place in our heart for that happiness to come again Mm -hmm. and that peace to come again. But we also had a desire to, to learn to, to not be the same after we went through this experience. Um, I wanted to grow. I wanted to become someone who, who could be there and offer help for others. Um, and so we actually created, we, Mark talked about Karens that we love, the C-A-I-R-N, and that they're trail markers. And it's called Karen the Load. You can find us on social media. And we have a podcast that's called Trail Angels. And um, we would love to get to know um, any of your listeners. And if you go to to our uh, podcast or anything on social media or our website, you can um, schedule a free call with us. You can just, it links into our calendar just to get to know us and to realize that you're not alone. And we would just love to be a part of, of your journey. Thank you. Appreciate that. Tell us the name of your website. It's Karen, the And, and maybe uh, Julie, you can just put that in your show notes too. I will. I'll do that. I'll do that. Any one of the last? Fun, I was going to say one of the fun things that we do is we, we have an Instagram, uh, a daily Instagram post uh, under Karen, the load that that uh, has, I, I think, some some great ideas from things that we've learned throughout the last ten years that uh, will help our help uh, those that uh, that read it, uh, you know, to to put themselves in a place in their life where they can feel better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Any last words of wisdom you would like to share before we end? The last words of wisdom. Well. You may feel broken to get today, but you'll become stronger and more beautiful as you put the pieces back together. Beautiful. Thank you for that. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. I loved chatting with Annette and Mark Anderson, and I was, I'm so appreciative. I'm so grateful for their willingness to share their journey And like they said, to be Cairns in our journey, to be trail angels, to, to light the way for others. And, um, you know, through their unique experiences that they, and sharing their unique experiences, we all learn. We all learn from each other. So thank you to Annette and Mark for sharing your experience with us. I want to offer you a quick reminder again to, if you're not already on the mailing list at buildalifeafterloss.com, you want to go over there and you want to get on that list right away because we've got some exciting things coming up. We've got a new program that's going to be launched in September, and I want you to be the first to know. And if you're on that mailing list, you are going to be the first to know. So be sure and Go over there, get on that mailing list so that we can 
let you know what's happening. We've got a webinar coming up in July. It's going to be totally free to you and watch for that. And, um, and we'll, we'll see you there. We'll see you there because as I've mentioned before, the podcast is going on hold in July and August. You know, who knows? I, I love being here. So I, I might have a wild hair and decide to just jump in and, and come back on in, in July or August sometime. But, um, we are purposely taking a vacation. We have our first, our, I, I jokingly say we're, we're ending our first season of the podcast, the season of 134 episodes. <laughs> a longer season than typical, right? But be sure, rate and re- review, subscribe to the podcast so that you know when new podcasts do arrive. And uh, share this episode, share it on Facebook, on Instagram, and be sure and tag us so we can say thank you. Have a wonderful week. Remember, I believe in you. Love you. Bye.